when my car won't start and I can't figure out why, I automatically lift up the hood just to look at the engine. I may not have any clue what's going on there. Most of the time I don't, but I still, I feel like I'm irresponsible if I don't at least lift up the hood and just look at it. I mean, know what I'm talking about. Let's look under the look if I don't know what I'm looking for, but let's look. And then when the mechanic gets there, he looks under the hood, but he, he usually looks someplace completely different. You know, and I, why is it, and we do the same thing, we go to the doctor, at least I do, we think we're going to tell the doctor what he doesn't already know, you know. So the mechanic comes, and I've, all, I've got it all figured out. Yeah, I turned the key, and it just cranked a little bit. And uh, what I'm thinking is, and, and you know, I, I think maybe, and he looks over here. You know, he's looking a completely different place than what I'm, what I'm looking at. Why? Because he's got a little bit more knowledge of things than what I do. Now, if I'm going to look at an engine and, and uh, try to figure out what's going on, and I'm looking in one spot, and Eric comes along, and Eric's a qualified mechanic, works for Ford, and uh, he knows what's going on. And, and if I'm looking over here on this side, and Eric comes, and he says, turn the key, and I turn it, and he starts looking over here, who do you think is right and who do you think is wrong? I, Eric, I'm going to go with Eric. Because he knows what's going on. So if he's looking in a different place than I'm looking, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust where he's looking. When I watch a football game, and I'm not a football strategist, I, a lot of times if I see a football game and I hear them talk strategy and plays and offense and defense, I, I wish I were. I wish I had. I have never played organized football, and uh, I, I wish that I, I knew, you know, when they use different phrases and so forth, and, and the guy, you know, takes, he's got his, his pen on the screen, and he's drawing X's and O's and arrows and over here. And I'm going, man, you know, I just sat down to see how the Jets are going to lose this week, you know. And, and I don't know when he goes, man, did you see what number 73 did? He came and I'm going, 73? I wasn't even watching number 73. How in the world? The commentator who used to play football, and I got to be honest, I, I don't have much patience in any sport with these guys that are experts. I remember hearing the, the, the lady who does the Yankee games would say, what Jeter should have done there? And I just wanted to reach through the radio and go, smack. Don't tell me what Jeter should have done there. Um, I like to hear former players. And if they're going to say, well, what he should have done there, okay, I'll listen to what you have to say, uh, former players. When, uh, let's see, I was about to turn 40, just before I turned 40, and we had been in our house for less than two years, and we got that year, uh, my birthday's in the spring, we got that year just uh, wicked, wicked rain and flooding and so forth. And so uh, we, we, I went to turn on the water, and it didn't come on at all. Well, I didn't know where to look. I See, in all these areas, whether we're talking plumbing, electricity, auto mechanics, I know just enough so that when we actually do call the guy, it'll cost us more than if I just left it alone. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> in other words, I know just enough to really be dangerous. So I, I, I looked around and tried to see. I didn't know. So, you know, I looked at everything in the garage that I could see. So finally the plumber came, and he walked around the back of the house. And I didn't say it. I'm glad I didn't say it. There's nothing back there. Well, there was something back there. There was a well 
oh, that's what that big concrete thing in my backyard is. It's where the, it's where the well is. And he opened up the lid and there was a pump down in there. And it was, it was a pump that wasn't supposed to be underwater, but it was underwater, and that was a problem, and we had to replace the pump. But I never would have thought to look back there. Why? Because what do I know? Now listen, when the plumber comes, and I'm looking in the garage, and he's looking out behind the house, who do you think is going to be right? Who do you think is looking in the right place? Well, I guarantee you it's not me. It's the guy that knows where things are, where they're supposed to be. Now let me ask you a question. When God looks at things and he sees things one way and I see things a different way, who do you think is right? And yet it's amazing when you hear people talk about God, how they are such experts, and all of us fall into this trap, we are such experts at knowing that the way we see things is so much better than the way God sees things. Be assured of this. When God looks at things, what God is seeing is completely different than what we see. And however God sees it, that's the way that we need to see it. Why? Because God knows what's really going on. So, let me begin this morning by saying, I want to know what God has seen. And then I want to see it that way. I want to know what God is seeing. I think when God looks at this world, he sees it so much differently than I do and than you do. He sees something completely different. What is God seeing? I want to give you a few things from the Bible of what God is seeing. It has nothing to do with what we would call our worldview or, well, I guess it does, but I'm not talking about politics this morning. I'm not talking about anything like that. I just want to show you a few things, core things, that the Bible tells us this is what God sees. First of all, what does God see when he looks at the human race? Turn to Psalm 14. Psalm 14, what does God see when he looks at the human race? I've got opinions about what the answer to that question would be. You have opinions about what the answer to that question. Imagine asking that, uh, that a question in like a news channel with the panel and, you know, five different guys and five different windows and they each have a, an opinion. And it's like, you know, it's like the Brady Bunch has come to the news channel, all these different squares and everybody's looking at each other, you know. And um, what does God see when he looks at the human race and everybody in their different square speaks their opinion, and one of their opinions is going to be, well, I don't even think there is a God. And somebody else's opinion is, well, I'm not sure that God really is all that occupied with the human race. You say, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but there's people that have their opinion. There is a God, but he doesn't concern himself with us. That's crazy. But what does God see when he looks at the human race? Well, look at Psalm 14 and verse number 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. So God looks down at the whole human race and he says, I want to see 
if there's anybody that gets it, if there's anybody that's looking for me, it says, it says, look, if there were any that did seek God, is there anybody that gets it? Is there anybody that's searching for me? And look at what he found, verse 3. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. When God looks at the human race, he sees a race of people who have rebelled against him. Now, we see the human race, and I heard this several times this week. We see the human race as most people are basically good. I gotta tell you, there's some very famous conservative minded people that they're known for that quote. That I believe that most of the human race, most people, man is basically good. That's not what God sees when he looks at the human race. When God looks at the human race, he sees that we have all rebelled against him. He sees a race that the entire race has revolted against our God. I, I don't like to say it this strongly, but I guarantee you it's even stronger than this. When I used to preach in the, the uh, boys' home, I would use this statement almost every week when I gave the gospel because they understood this language. But I said what I'd say, and I'm saying it now, when God looks at the human race, he sees an entire race of people that have given God the finger. So, oh, pastor, I think that's a little strong. I've never done that. In your heart, in my heart, every one of us has. An entire race of people that has told our creator, we don't need him. We don't want him. We don't have any use for him. How does God see the human race? He sees us as a race of people, people that have rebelled against him. Now, that's an important difference, don't you think? Don't you think it's significant that most of us think that most people are basically good? And God says, you've all rebelled against your creator. You have all said, I will be my own God. I don't need God. Important difference there. Big important difference. Let's look at the next question. What does God see when he looks at the human heart? What does God see when he looks at the heart of man in its natural condition? We'll turn to Isaiah chapter 64. What does God see when he looks at the human race as a whole? He sees an entire race of people that have rebelled. They have revolted against their creator. If you find that hard to swallow, I would urge you to spend some time on your knees before God saying, God, I find that hard to swallow I find because, God, I'm one of those people who wants to see the whole world as basically good. I know what you're saying when you say, when you want to say, ah, most people are basically good, meaning most people don't want to hurt someone else. Most people don't want to do harm or damage to someone else. But the fact of the matter is, even though that may be true, we've all revolted against our Creator. 
And we have to understand that's what God sees. God sees a world full of people that he made us to love him. He made us to obey him. He made us to do things his way. And we chose to be our own gods. We've got to understand that that's what he's seen. Second question, what does God see when he looks at the human heart? Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 17, just a few pages away. Jeremiah chapter 17. What does God see when he looks at the human heart? We are all as an unclean thing. He sees that all of our righteousness, and we bring these works to God and say, Look, God, I was nice to people. Look, God, I fed the hungry. Look, God, I gave some, some money to a, to a homeless person. Look, God, I helped somebody in need. And God sees we are all an unclean thing and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. You say, well, that, you know, that makes God sound kind of mean. What, that he sees things as they are? If you went to the doctor and they'd found a spot somewhere in your body and they x-rayed that spot and the doctor comes out, he said, we looked at this spot and the test results show you have cancer. Would you look at the doctor and say, doctor, you're mean. No, if you have any sense, you say, doctor, thank you for finding that. Tell me what we should do about that. When God sees things as they truly are, it's not that he's mean, it's that we've got issues that we better get them fixed. You're in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 9. What does God see when he looks at the human heart? Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What does that mean at the end, who can know it? He's saying your heart is deceitful. It plays tricks on you. And how can you even know that it's playing tricks on you? Because you're the victim of the tricks that it plays. So you may look and say, oh, people, he's got a good heart. Now, I understand if you may be talking about how people relate to each other. I understand what you mean when you say somebody's got a good heart. And I use that phrase too. But don't ever forget that what God sees when he looks in the, at the human heart is God sees a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The biggest mistake you will make is to trust your heart and to trust the heart of people. Now, I'm not saying don't trust people. There's a way to trust people and there's a way to trust yourself. But if you just out and out say, I'm just going to, you know, that's a mistake that we're, we're making in just, oh, people are in, in need, and so we're just going to let everybody come and take refuge in America just because we care about people. That is a mistake. And our enemies know that that is a weakness that we have. Should we take care of people in need? Absolutely. 
Should we be very careful about who we take into our borders? Yes, we should. You don't just, the idea that, well, you know, the, the reason the terrorists want to kill us is because we've been so bad and mean. That's, that's wrong. That's foolish. God looks down and he sees the human heart. And he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. What else does God see? Turn to Romans chapter 3. What does God see when he looks at the human heart? What does God see when he looks at the hum- in the heart of man in its natural condi- condition? Romans chapter 3, and we're going to read a few verses here. Because if we didn't read them, maybe you wouldn't see just how bad shape we're in. Romans chapter 3, verse number 10. What does God see when he looks at the human heart? Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. It's talking about us. It's talking about the heart of man. It's talking about man and his human condition. The poison of asps, that's a snake, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace had they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Let me say, say, well, you know, I was raised in a very good home, and and I, I really never got into all the things that are described there. But leave you to yourself, and that's the direction your heart will go every time. When God sees the heart of man, he sees sin, he sees filth, he sees rebellion. Now, he said, Pastor, this is sounding mighty negative so far. Okay, we're about to take a turn, but you can't enjoy the good news until you see the bad news first. The bad news. The bad news. You know, I've got my hood open there, and I'm looking under there, and I'm saying, she just won't crank. And here comes Eric, and Eric says, well, I can see the problem right there. What should I do? Should I just listen to myself, or should I listen to what the expert says? Doc, i got to tell you, I've, I've been having this, this pain on my left side, and I think I know what it is. You just you give me a couple of you know, high-powered high painkillers, and I think I'll be all right. The doc does a few tests, and he says, no, it's a little more serious than that. We need to talk about it. Oh, doc, just, just listen to me. And that's where we are with God, most of us. God, I think I know what the problem is. If you'll just give me, oh, $50,000, I can fix it, all right? Then I, then I won't need you anymore. God says, no, the problem's deeper than that. So let God look under the hood this morning. Would you you be honest with yourself and understand that when God sees the world, he sees a race of people that have rebelled and revolted against their creator. When he sees the human heart, he sees darkness. He sees filth. He sees hatred. That's what he sees. 
And if you don't know God and you just walk away from him today, that's what he's always going to see. You can talk about cleaning it up all you want to. He's always ever going to see rebellion, darkness, filth. But now let's go to a better place here. And that would be the next step in this progression. What does God see when he looks at Jesus on the cross? Turn to Isaiah 53. What does God see when he looks at Jesus on the cross? Now this is, this is different than what the average person sees. Someone who doesn't necessarily believe in God would say, oh, I see, um, I see a religious myth, this story of a man who was nailed to a cross. Someone else who believes that the crucifixion happened, but they don't have faith in God, they might say, well, I, I see a, a horrible moment, a, a horrible tragedy in human history. The woman who wrote the Harry Potter books, who, what's her name? J.K. Rowling? Rawlings? Rawlings. I'm hearing about 10 to J.K. Rowling, whatever. So now that we all know who we're talking about, when she looks at the cross, these are her words, she sees a wimp. She sees a, a man who wasn't strong enough to stand up and defeat. She said if he just laid down his life, that's, he's a wimp. You might want to think about that next time you read your, uh, or watch your movie there. But what does God see when he looks at the cross? You know, by the way, even a lot of Christians, all we see when we look at the cross is what a shame. And it's a shame that our sins drove him there, but it goes so much deeper than what a shame. Let's look at what God says. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. So, The prophet Isaiah there is saying that when God looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw Jesus carrying our griefs and our sorrows. We saw him as God rejected him because he didn't like him. Verse 5, but he, this is what God sees, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. What does God see when he looks at the cross? Look at verse 10 of Isaiah 53. That it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed... He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11, he, God, shall see the travail of his, Jesus, soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities 
When God looks at the cross, what does he see? He sees my sin and your sin being judged. He sees every lie that you and I have ever told being judged. When God looks on the cross, he sees my sins being punished. When God looks at the cross, he sees my guilt and your guilt being taken away. God looks at Jesus on the cross and he sees Jesus taking the punishment that you and I deserve. When God looks at the cross, he sees our sin being fixed. Look at Galatians chapter 3 in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 13. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 13. What does God see when he looks at Jesus on the cross? Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So God saw his son becoming a curse for me. Now that you're in Galatians, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Last one on point three and point four goes real fast and we'll be done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. For he, God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin. And the who knew no sin there, that's not us, that's Jesus. Jesus knew no sin and God the Father made God the Son to become the embodiment of sin for us. This question of whose sins did Jesus die for, that is ludicrous, that is asinine. He didn't die for these people's sins and these people's sins. He died for sin. He became sin for all of us. Jesus became the embodiment of sin. So when your guilty conscience looks at it and says, man, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I treated them that way. I can't believe I stole this. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I... All of that, no exceptions, was on Jesus on the cross. And God sees it there. That's what God sees when he looks at the cross. When God looks at the world, he sees a world that has rebelled against their creator. When God looks at the human heart, he sees filth. He sees darkness. He sees wickedness. But when God looks at the cross, he sees Jesus Christ embodying all of that. There was a tree in Genesis chapter 3 where sin in the human race began. And there's a tree in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where sin was put to death. That's what God sees when he looks at the cross. Fellows, listen right up here. Over here. Hey, guys, sit up now. Listen, we're almost done. Fourth question this morning. 
How does God see the person who's been saved? Now, hopefully you're still in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to look. We're going to read the whole verse again. How does God see you this morning? How many of you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? You've been saved. Raise your hand, all right? How does God see you this morning, right now, no matter what kind of week you had, no matter what kind of day you had, no matter what kind of mood you're in, no matter what you came into church this morning feeling guilty about, no matter what kind of shape you're in this morning, if you're saved, you're a child of God. How does God see you? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, let's read the second half of that verse all together, starting with the word that. Ready? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let's read it again. Ready? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. One more time. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What does God see when he looks at every person who has taken Jesus as your Savior? When God looks at us right now, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When God looks at you right now, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. When God looks at you right now, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When God looks at us right now, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But pastor, you don't know what I did this week. It doesn't matter. Now, wait a second. It's, it's going to matter in your relationship with him. That's why 1 John 1 talks about we've got to confess our sins. 1 John 1 is clearly not talking to lost people. It is clearly talking to saved people. And it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. That's talking about restoring our relationship with him. When my children were small, If one of them told a lie or disobeyed or talked back, I had to deal with that. I had to address that. But I always, when I saw my children, saw my child. I never looked at one of my children as, you know, Well, you're just like the punk down the street. No, never. This is my child. This is my child. And do I need to confess my sins to God and and put them under the blood of Jesus Christ to keep my relationship with him clear and strong? Yes, but never forget every moment of every day for the rest of your life since you've been saved, when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus took your sin so that he could give you his righteousness. Jesus took your sin on the cross so that he could give to you his righteousness. And you now have the righteousness of God. Let me read for you Philippians 3.9. And be found in him, Jesus, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Because of the cross, when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ.
Now we're almost done, but don't miss this. This is, this is really what we've been building towards for the last couple of minutes here. When I really believe that God sees the righteousness of Christ when he looks at me, it'll change the way I live. It'll change the way I act. It'll change the way I talk. Let me illustrate that by talking about Jesus Christ. A commentator named Walter Marshall said this. Christ walked in a constant persuasion of his excellent state. And it was that constant persuasion that carried him through. In other words, the excellence of Jesus' lifestyle was the result of the fact that every moment of Jesus' life, he knew that he was God the Son. He knew that he was the Son of God. He knew that he was the Word made flesh. Because he knew that, and he lived conscious of that fact every moment of his life, that's the reason that he lived the way he lived. And that illustrates the fact that when you really believe that God sees the righteousness of Jesus when he looks at you, when you really believe that, you will want to live up to that identity. Say, man, I'm, I got a hot temper. Are you saved? God doesn't see a hot temper when he looks at you. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So, oh, pastor, I, I got a dirty mind. I mean, I just, I, I battle with that. Okay. But that's not what God sees when he looks at you. The sins of fornication, Jesus paid for them on the cross. He he took care of all of them. And when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now understand that. And let him give you the grace and the strength to live it. To live up to who you are. The righteousness of of Jesus Christ. We may have, when I started out this morning, you may have thought, oh, pastor's going to preach a salvation message. But even though you did hear enough gospel to get saved if you wanted to this morning, if you needed to, that was not the destination. The destination this morning was to understand how we look in the eyes of God without Jesus compared to how we look in the eyes of God because of Jesus. If you're a Christian this morning, God sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ when he looks at you. You say, Pastor, I know I'm saved, but I'm not a very good Christian. Doesn't matter. He doesn't. Let's suppose that this guy over here is the worst Christian in the room, and this guy over here is the best Christian in the room. However, we quantify that. Worst Christian in the room, best Christian in the room. When God looks at them as far as who they are, He sees the righteousness of Christ on both of them. Don't let that drive you to be negligent and irresponsible. Oh, it doesn't matter how I live. No, the Bible is full of principles that tell us why it does matter how we live. But if you will understand that when God sees you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, it will make you want to be more like Jesus Christ in your character, in your thinking. In your speech, 
in your living so that your lifestyle matches your identity. Do you know why we are spiritually schizophrenic? Because our identity is here. God sees the righteousness of Jesus, but our living is over here. When you're living matches your identity, you are whole. You are strong. Father, I pray today that you would help us to long.